0: here, that somehow you control my throat and my coughing so that I don't drive them crazy, and uh, really, Lord, that you would help us to be able to focus on your word. We thank you for the things contained in it, and we love this passage, and Lord, I pray you would speak to our hearts through it, and uh, just commit the time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. (laughs) All right, Jonathan, if you would read.
1: They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenisae Phine- 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 and Samaria, declaring the, conversation of the, gent- the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused the great joy of all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church And they declared all all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them, to commend them, to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much, much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt He God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God And to this agree the words of the prophet, as it is written, After this I will return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. And the residue of men, uh, that the residue of men, might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all Unto them that they abstain from
0: pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> May the Lord add the blessing simply to the reading of His Word. Well, it's as I said, it was really fun to start teaching the young men about uh, the book of Acts. And so, just by way of reminder, remember it started with 120 disciples quickly went to 3,000, then if I'm not mistaken, the last number given is 5,000, and after that they stopped counting. I could be wrong on that. You can check and let me know if I'm mistaken on that, Um, but it was really uh, exciting to see in the book of Acts how things started slowly and kept building, and you may recall that one of the things about the book of Acts was it wasn't a total separation from Judaism, and so, again, as we were looking at those first few chapters, how many times the disciples would be in the, the uh, temple. Well, obviously not in the temple itself, but outside. They couldn't go in. Uh, but how much of it still evolved around the temple? So remember, the divides that start happening was first the name of Jesus, that you know the, the religious leaders did not like these things being done in the name of Jesus, healing the man in chapter 3 and so forth. Then there's the divide over the role of the temple and that the temple was going to be outdated because the true temple had come. And as we move into this section, uh, some of the keys here have to do with the, uh, the preaching of the good news of salvation, which starts in 1225 through the end of uh, 14. And then... This section here is the discussion of the terms of salvation. So you have the gospel going out. And so Wally covered a lot of the stuff in chapter 14, and uh, Matt and I had done the things in chapter 13 with uh, uh, Paul's sermon. But you begin to see all of these issues now making people choose, you know, choose which direction they're going. And, and how much are you going to stay involved in Judaism and all the effects of it? And so uh, I believe that this is one of the most crucial sections in all of the book of Acts because of this issue of where does the ritual fit in? And you can begin to imagine that if they had not dealt with this then, there's a good chance we wouldn't be sitting here today doing what we do because the ritual would have won out, and we would have been caught up in a form of ritualism. So uh, I think another thing to think back on is that, recall with the conversion of Cornelius, because a lot of what Peter says here is in reference to the conversion of Cornelius in that whole situation. So in chapter 10, you had... uh, This unconverted man, uh, his prayers were heard by God, and he said, I treat them as a memorial. I appreciate your attitude toward me. And God sends the angel to Cornelius, remember, and then they go to fetch Peter. And I love the timing, right? Uh, Peter, not about to associate with Gentiles, and he has this little uh, learning experience, you know, the three times, Peter's learning technique three times over. And uh, the Holy Spirit basically says to him, just trust me in this. And as soon as he's done, at the door. And he even invites the men to come spend the night at his house. So this is huge because now this separation that had been going on for centuries is being removed completely. And then uh, chapter 11 is another recounting of it from Peter's perspective. And you remember in chapter 11 and verse 1, The uh, uh, verse uh, one says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And you may recall in, in statements in the past that I would have thought it could have said that they had received the Holy Spirit or they had gotten saved, but no, it phrases it that they had received the word of God. And doesn't that bring us back to faith comes by hearing, and hearing finds its source in the word of God. And so they're going to the root of it, and, and how the word of God is the only way that people can really know the truth. And so I love how that is stated. Uh, some of the other things in the terms of how it unfolds, remember in chapter 10 and verse 6, he says, uh, he will tell you what you must do which kind of has that sound of works. You know, what do you need to do to work for your salvation? Um, but when you get to Peter's recounting of it in verse uh, 11, chapter 11, verse 14, he will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. Same, same subject, but now a totally different way of presenting it. He will tell you the words by which you will be saved. And so that was the objective of the uh, angel when he had appeared to Cornelius. And so uh, we have this retelling of the story in chapter 11, and then that will be part of the basis of what uh, Peter has to say in chapter 15. So <coughs> not bad. I went three minutes before I started coughing. Um So uh, let's go back to chapter 15 then and begin to look at some of the things in here. This truly to me is an astounding uh, first half of the chapter and so many things in it. But uh, it says in uh, verse uh, 1, Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so I think you realize the intensity of what's being said there, and that uh, the, uh, the, the issue then becomes, uh, who are these certain men? And they were teaching the brethren these issues, right? And uh, that they basically said, you must submit to these Old Testament rituals, and so the implication is that this uh, could have jeopardized the freedom that is in the true gospel, that God made sure that this was nipped in the bud. Uh, and so, so we, we have to think about, okay, the issue of circumcision is, is really a picture of all that Judaism represents. And we don't hear so much that subject, but we certainly hear things like, what about baptism? Where does baptism fit in terms of a person's walk with God? And do you have to be baptized to be saved? And you know, if you trusted the Lord and you didn't get baptized, does that mean you're not going to heaven? All of those issues seem to follow in a similar pattern. Uh, but it says that you cannot be saved. That's an absolute statement. That is, without a doubt, you are not on the other side. You are still Uh, not with God. And so one of the things I find interesting about this is that this follows the pattern of what many will say today. You believe on the Lord Jesus, but then you have to follow the church this or that or those other things. And so you begin to see, okay, so you trust Jesus, yes, but the way you make sure of it is you have to do these certain things, whatever they be. And so no matter how you cut it, it's taking away from the, uh, the sufficiency and the completeness of the death of Christ, anything that you have to do in order to make sure this is continuing. Uh, you may recall that one of the classic arguments that I run into in Nigeria, and maybe James runs into this in Ghana, I'd be interested to talk to him about it. But many of the people would say to me, uh, and we've talked about this here before, it, I have believed in Jesus, and if I die with unconfessed sin in my life, I will go to hell, uh, one of the widows said that a couple of trips ago, and so, and I've been teaching them on internal security, I've been teaching the boys on this for, you know, we've been doing the book of Galatians for how long, so it's one of those kind of questions that you can relate to, and so you recall that when I asked the widows, I almost fell off my stool because about 80 to 90 percent of them raised their hand and agreed with her. So then when I asked the boys that question, I would say about 80 percent of them agreed with her. And I'm like, what have I been teaching for two years, you know? But again, it's, it's trying to get what the scriptures say between that and all the things you're bombarded with for all these years. And what I realize, I'm there for two months a year, and for 10 months of the year, they're hearing other things. So you have to go back to the scriptures, you know. And so, again, it's that idea of, you know, Christ starts the ball rolling, but our efforts keep it going is kind of the mentality of it. And so uh, you then have that whole issue that begins to develop uh, with this whole situation. Uh, Recall in Galatians, uh, it, it says, uh, o fool, chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or the hearing of faith? And what is the answer to that question? By the hearing of faith. Uh, Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And so it's interesting, the combination of of, uh, receiving the Spirit by works of the law, the hearing of faith, uh, the parallel is you began in the Spirit and you're being made perfect by the flesh. And so there you have works entering in my own effort in addition to believing in Jesus. So then what is, what is Jesus' role? And so those are the kind of things that they were dealing with here. So uh, verse 2 says, When Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, uh, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So I, I was doing some thinking about what's the difference between a dissension and a dispute. And, you know, there is a little bit of distinction. Um, interesting that this word uh, dissension, uh, it's not used that often, I don't think, in the New Testament. But one of the places it's called an insurrection. It's like, oh, that's a pretty strong word. And, or an uproar. So this is this the word is an intense situation. This is not just a mild chat. This is really you know a difficult conversation, and then obviously dispute or I think King James says disputation. Uh, I like the definition. It's a mutual questioning, and that should be how we debate things, right? Because usually we get a lot hotter under the collar than mutual questioning. It's like, I'm right and you're wrong, you know. And, and so, but you can see the intensity of the situation. And uh, the other thing uh, that I uh, like about the phrasing is that there were, they had no small dissension. I like that negative, no small and, and so that's used a couple of different places. One is in uh, Acts chapter 12. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers, what had was become of Peter. Or in you know chapter 15 is one of them. And then another one is in 19. And the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. And so there's a few others like that. But I like the way that that kind of paints the picture, that there was a lot going on here. Um, <coughs> <it is> somewhat, <coughs> somewhat similar is Acts 20, verse 12. They brought the young man in alive, and they, uh, and they were not a little comforted. You know, again, that, that backwards way of saying it, but I think it makes for more emphasis. And so I think we have to ask the question then, If they have this dispute and they determine that they need to go up to Jerusalem, then the dispute was not resolved. Nobody was budging from one side or the other. And so now what do you do? And so you move on to verse 3 where it says that uh, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles and they cause great joy to all the brethren. Well, it's almost like there's a sermon in each one of these verses because there's so much stuff here, but I do like the fact that um, they had been sent on their way, and as they were going, uh, as they meet different people, uh, they are describing the conversion of these Gentiles, and so I think <coughs> these would be the things going on primarily the end of chapter 12 into 13 and 14. And so this is really a huge thrust, right? In the beginning, it was the conversion of people from Jewish background. Now it's really starting to go out to the Gentiles. So what do we do with all of this? And that's why this becomes so pivotal. And so uh, they, uh, when they were describing the conversion... The word means something like to narrate, to narrate through holy. In other words, you're not given the abbreviated uh, abridged version. They're telling the whole story, the big picture, you know. And so it's like if I were to be able to sit down and tell you everything I just did the last month, it would take a few hours, right? So I gave you the abridged version, you know. But they explained what God had been doing in all of these situations, And, uh, (coughs) but I also want us to notice that it says being sent on their way by the church. And you begin to see how important the word church is, the ecclesia, the called out ones, right? And how you have the church where uh, they were, and now you're going to be coming to the church that's in uh, Jerusalem, And so you begin to see there's not one location called the center of the church, if you would. The church is going to be all of these individual gatherings, kind of like the synagogues were in the Jewish mentality, right? But remember, the synagogues were inferior to going to the temple. The temple was where you really needed to go. And so they sent them on their way, and they're describing the conversion. And again, another wonderful expression in the book of Acts they cause great joy to all the brethren. And I think that that's something that is a battle for me, is that really being able to rejoice at this conversion of others, you know, because in some senses you hear about it, but it's distant from you. But I think I, I need to grow in this area of recognizing that this is a, this is a miracle beyond miracles when somebody comes to the Lord. And so, who shared about Ralph Kirchhoffer and three people coming to the Lord? And, and I think the joke was that they're so spread out there that they're, you know, for, to, for people to come together is not an easy thing there because it's so far out in the country. And so, it's really fun to look at those expressions of, of great joy, uh, in the in in the New Testament. <clears throat> but uh, verse four goes on then to say. When they had uh, come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that, had, that God had done with them or through them. All right, So they've gotten to Jerusalem, they are received by the elders, uh, the apostles and the elders. And so again, what does this teach us? That the role of the apostles seemed to be at this juncture still somewhat central in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, But they were received, and the first thing they do is they tell the things that God had been doing. And I think the implication is primarily that which was happening to the Gentiles, right? And then we have, in verse 5, the issue of some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up. Well, what is a sect? You know, a sect, uh, the word actually is based on (coughs) on the word heresy, which we know is not a word that you would like to be associated with, a heretic, right? But it's also a division, a separate group. And it's used in several different places in the scripture, but the idea is this separation, that they hold to this, and therefore it's different than what you hold to. And so... Uh, But I also am envisioning the situation that uh, Paul and Barnabas are talking about what God is doing, and they're giving their report, and you wonder if there would be that same joy, although it's not mentioned. But at some point, you see they rise up. Well, is that because they've heard enough and they've got to set the situation straight? But you can almost see the guy getting up, and it's not just in a gentle way. It's to really let it be known, you know. And so, but they rise up and they say, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And this is where you understand that it wasn't just the ritual of circumcision. It's everything that Judaism represents. So you see the pattern then. Okay, you believed in Jesus, that's a good start, but that's not the finish. You've got to do all this other stuff, and then you will be spiritual. And so you recognize how critical this is to the movement of Christianity. And so, uh, so they, they uh, but I also wanted to mention that, uh, <clears throat> that they, uh, the two go hand in hand. And then in verse six, it says, So the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And so these men bring up the subject. Uh, Oh, and by the way, there is a hot potato in verse five, and I don't know how much we can address it in the time that we have. But it says, Those of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, right? Are they genuine believers? Or what does it mean? And this becomes a very tricky issue, okay? And and so if I have time at the end, which I doubt I will, uh, it's something to consider. They believe something, but remember those in John chapter 2. Many believe because of the miracles that they saw, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And so they had an attraction to Jesus, but was it genuine salvation? Well, John chapter 2 clearly states that the Lord did not connect to them because he knew that it was superficial. It wasn't genuine. And so you have to eventually deal with that issue of uh, these Pharisees who believed. Maybe we can address that some on Thursday night, Lord willing. So... uh, Verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to consider the matter. And so again, simple point, they came together. That's good when you have a difficulty, rather than just staying polarized, come together and work it out. Try to see how you can resolve the issue. And so they come together to consider it. And then in verse 7, it says, when when there had been much dispute, same word as the disputing in verse 2, Uh, Peter rose up and said to them, and uh, so, you know, you can picture this not-so-quiet dialogue going on, right, about this dispute. Well, you say, you know, no, it's got to be, and you can just see this heated conversation going on. And I've said this before, that this may be the first time in Peter's life that he wasn't the first one to just get up and start arguing. He waited and let them argue the thing through for a little while, and then he rises up. So again, these little phrases in the scripture, we often ignore them. But those men of the sect had risen up, they presented their issues, and now Peter rises up, and he has something very powerful to say. And so he begins uh, with reminding them of (coughs) his role in God's plan. And I think one of the things that Matt had said that I had not ever really paid attention to was that Peter is so central in the early parts of the book of Acts, but he seems to be coming less visible, I'm sure he continued to do what he was doing, but as far as the book of Acts go, he seems to become a little quieter, and Paul and Barnabas and the others really start to be in the forefront of the things that are happening. But here, Peter, he gets up and he says, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. (coughs) so, again, you have this expression, the word of the gospel. And so, again, this is the foundation. You have to have the scriptures explained before somebody can believe it. And so he says, by my mouth. Now, do you remember where we read about my mouth or opened his mouth? Remember uh, in the Ethiopian story? Uh, It was uh, uh, Philip opened his mouth and began to preach to him. But then when Peter was sitting down with Cornelius, very same expression that Paul, uh, Peter opened his mouth. And so, you know, I jokingly said you can't talk unless you open your mouth. Right. It's mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it doesn't really do a whole lot of good. So it's almost a silly thing to say. But the point is is that to open your mouth means to consciously speak out the things that you know of the truth of God. And so he says, by my mouth, the Gentiles should what? Hear the word of the gospel. And because they've heard the word of the gospel, then they believe. And so verse 8, so God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And this is what goes back to the story of Cornelius, remember? <clears throat> Peter's doing his sermon, and when you read the account in chapter 11, uh, it really, I think, was Peter was saying, well, I hadn't gotten to the climax of my sermon, and these guys believed before I was done speaking. And so, uh, and so you see this pattern. But, but, but they were so ripe and ready, and it says, God who knows the heart. This is one of the most important verses in scripture, isn't it, in terms of who God is. And just like the Lord in John 2, he knew all men, he knows what's in the heart. And so we have to be so careful about judging what another person's thoughts or motives are because we only can read the outside, but God knows what's on the inside. And so he knows the heart and he acknowledged them. How did he acknowledge them? Because he gave them the spirit. And so when you read the account in Acts 10, there is no statement of them believing, only the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming in. And then when Peter recounts it in chapter 11, he adds more detail to the fact that they had believed, and that's why they got the Holy Spirit. And so he acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And that's important, right? Early part of Acts, and the... Holy Spirit coming down it was on to those who were genuine believers and so this was kind of your stamp of approval that you now you genuinely belong to the Lord and so what's Peter saying but they have the Holy Spirit so they are equal to us that's his argument right and so then uh, verse 9 he made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith And so he made no distinction between us and them. In other words, this isn't the superior group and this is the inferior group. They were equal. There's no distinction. And that certainly reminds you of Ephesians where he talks about, Ephesians 2, where he's broken down that middle wall of separation. So Peter goes to Cornelius, he breaks the mole. Remember, everybody's giving him flack. What are you hanging around with those Gentiles for? And he defends himself in chapter 11. Am I going to resist God? And now you have this step of them having uh, to deal with the same issue. Are they equal to us? And has God truly taken down that wall? And there's no such thing as Jew and Gentile. It is one church, one body. And it's just an amazing point, because again, if God had allowed this, you think we have enough factions in Christianity today? What in the world would it be like? You know, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and all, it would be 10 times worse. But from God's viewpoint, no, there's no difference. You're a believer, you are part of the church, right? And I I know that I have said that I didn't get involved in the Brethren until probably, I don't know, eight, ten years after I got saved. And I never could say I was a Presbyterian or I was a Baptist or any of those things. I always just said, no, I'm just a believer in the Lord Jesus. And that should be true of each of us. We don't want to divide the body. And so he, uh, but he begins then by saying uh, that there was, uh, he says there anyway that, There's no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So another big subject, what is this purifying their hearts by faith? And so I think to think it through, there are several points in regard to it. Um, First thing is, it was God who did the cleansing. It wasn't some uh, self-effort to clean myself up. It was God who did the cleansing. It is in the active voice in the Greek, and so it means that God was the one that cleansed them. It wasn't this process of becoming holy, you know, learning to do this. and lo- No, God cleansed them. And it makes me think of what Titus said in that once for all washing of regeneration. There is that one time where God does a washing, a one-time washing. And then after that, 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just. Uh, I spent a a lot of time in Africa going over John 13, right? Peter, okay, wash all of me. And the Lord says to him, no, 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 you're already clean. You have had that once for all washing, but when you mess up, you got to clean your feet. But good old Peter, remember he said, well, if you're going to do that, my feet, my hands and my head, you got to do all of me. And he said, no, we don't need to do that anymore. And I think that's been a tremendous help for the saints in Nigeria because they're starting to see the difference between that once-for-all cleansing that God does and the cleansing we need to do of daily confession for fellowship, not for salvation. And so so first of all, God did the cleansing. Uh, And then the second point is it says that By the means of their faith, right? He purified their hearts by faith. Because of their faith, God then purified them. And then thirdly, when did he purify their hearts? Was it a long, drawn-out process as their faith gradually grew? No, it was that one time. And I think uh, there's a verse that Peter says, uh, uh, where is it, where he says, uh, uh... Where is it? Um, 1 Peter 1 and 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So you get that same picture. So God purified their hearts because they had shown their faith. And then in verse 10 it says... Uh, now, therefore, when you <coughs> uh, now, therefore, when you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. So what he's saying to these men from this sect of the Pharisees is, you're putting this yoke on these people, right? And we have never been able to carry this yoke ourselves, but you think it's spiritual, so you're throwing it on them too. And doesn't that remind you of that verse in, uh, I think it's Luke, where he talks to the religious, uh, I think it might have been more like the lawyer types, where you, you load them with burdens, but you yourself do not touch the burdens. You know, you just load them down with, oh, you want to be spiritual? You just got to be miserable. You know, you just got to do this, this, and this. And, and you're weighed down with all of this ritual, but that's spirituality. And he says, it didn't work then, and it's sure not going to work now. And so, uh, verse uh, 11 Uh, But we believe that through the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Now remember what he said uh, back in uh, the verse about um, making no distinction, verse 9, and that in verse 8, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. But what's the difference between that and verse 9? that we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So he's holding up before them the Gentiles and saying, looking at their example, we fit in under them. And that's a total reversal of what you're looking at as the status quo. So this is a tremendous statement. It reminds me of what uh, was said about David uh, in some of the different portions in the book of uh, Kings and Chronicles, right? So-and-so walked uh, with God after the manner of our father David, right? Or so-and-so didn't walk according to David. So David was your standard, and even they, either they walked equal with them, or they fell short of it, but that was the standard. Well, this is the same thing he's doing here. These Gentiles are the ones that we are now being compared to, and he says we are coming in under them as the standard, which is a huge statement from Peter, huge statement. And so he understands that there is no wall of separation. Now, did Peter ever blow it? Yeah. Remember, the book of Galatians tells us, as far as I can tell, after all of this, remember, the other brethren came down, and they were annoyed with Peter because he had been hanging around with the Gentiles, and so he refused to eat dinner with them that day, and Paul confronted him to his face and says, what are you doing? And so I think for all of us, sometimes these things take time to settle in, and and so you have that pattern, but... Verse 12, all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So remember back where Paul and them were talking about the things that God had done, verse 4, right? And now you have this discussion because these guys interrupted it, the sect of the Pharisees. Peter makes his explanation, and now Paul and Barnabas keep, get to keep going on. But I also like what it says in verse 12. All the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas. It's like Peter had straightened out their thinking and nobody was jumping up and saying, now wait a minute, that's not right. And so they got to finish (coughs) the things that they were talking about. And so, I apologize for all the sips of water. Um, So uh, verse 12, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. How important is that little statement about how many miracles and wonders God had done? Does that have any significance? Because that, to me, is the affirmation that God's stamp of approval was on it, right? And so you have, if they're doing these miracles and so forth, and God is the one providing it, then you're saying that God is with them. God is doing it. And so it's that stamp of approval. And then again in verse 13. After they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. And so I think that Peter in my opinion, gives one of the best arguments he has ever done in terms of explaining the truth of God to those around him. And Peter wasn't the problem this time. He's the one that brought the solution, right? And so God uses him in a mighty way. And you can just see the people sitting there trying to absorb everything that's just been said. And they're silent. And James gets up and says, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with these words of the prophets agree, just as it's written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Again, I try to think of a Jewish person understanding these uh, Old Testament scriptures, right? And how their mentality was, we are God's chosen people, and those goyim can come in as long as they come in begging. And this is not the way it's being pictured, that God had a purpose for the Gentiles and that there was, God was going to reach out to those Gentiles. And so verse 18 says... Known to God from eternity are all his works. Again, another tremendous verse, right? God knew what he was going to do from eternity past. And he just waited till his perfect timing for these things to happen. And so God knew this was his ultimate plan. Why the separation? (coughs) Well, remember back to the food laws. The food laws were not, not altogether to eat healthy foods, as everybody's been taught. Because at that moment when Peter has the sheet come down and God says you can eat anything, well, either God had purified those animals that were not healthy or it was a different purpose. And I honestly believe the purpose was you don't eat with somebody, you don't become friends with them. And God kept the Jews separate from the Gentiles all those years because it was so easy for them to get amalgamated into the cultures. So they kept the separation because of the food thing. But now that whole wall's been taken down. And so this was all part of God's plan to now unite the church, the body, that it may go forth and grow. And so can you imagine how slow the growth of the church would have been if that wall was allowed to keep standing? And even today, you know, I had a good friend that was probably one of the first persons that ever preached the gospel to me. He got involved in a uh, uh, messianic church which did all of the Jewish rituals. And I, to this day, have no, I mean, it was, it was, everything was in Jewish language. I mean, he was really more of a Jew than a Christian. And, and I, I was like, oh, I just don't feel right with that because it, it's, it's separating the body again, you know, and it was so powerful. But known to God from eternity are all his works. And I think I better stop there. I'm sure I'm way over time. But we'll pick up on that next time. Unfortunately, that's quite a few weeks from now. But again, encourage you to read the rest of the chapter, really down through verse 5 of chapter 16. Uh, But let's pray. Oh, Lord, thanks that we could get through this and that I didn't have a ridiculous coughing uh, spell. But, Father, we just thank you for the richness of this. And, Father, we really thank you that known to you from eternity are all your works. You knew exactly what you wanted to do, and you timed it exactly how you wanted to time it. And so, Father, we thank you for the way that you work, and we thank you that you're just such a powerful God, an all-wise God. (coughs) And I pray that you would just help us to internalize these things and that we might benefit from considering the way that you worked and how it affects our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.